Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lawson. Joining me, as always, is Clint Matos. Hey, hello, everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. How are you guys doing this week? Looking forward to the weekend? Yep, I am. Uh, it's been a long week. Uh, people who read this out often will see on Twitter. We posted that uh, we're having some technical difficulties, and those all seem to be solved right now. So Touch I'm very words. happy to... Touch yeah, I'm very happy. yeah, I'm very happy to put this week behind us and to never speak of it again. Yes. And yourself, Robin? Uh, I plan to sleep until Sunday morning. Oh, you guys are lucky. I'm still trying to get that vaccine, so I've got to go and stand in a line. I just have to bite the bullet and stand in a line, even though I'm pretty much allergic to standing in line. So, yeah. Well, to... maybe it'll be exciting and some anti-vaxxers will come and protest. No, please don't. I don't want that in my life. I don't need that sort of stress. <laughs> already steady, I'm already in a line, Robin. How much more do you want to punish me? Uh, no, South Africans are really not a lineup culture. We're not. We're definitely not the British. Yeah, no. we have no patience for it. But uh, I mean, of all things to get in line for, um, the possibility of staying alive and not being on a ventilator is a uh, a dried yeah, it's, up. It's dried right up there. Absolutely, to stand in a line. There's not a lot of good reasons to stand in a line, but uh, this is one of them. Yeah, right. Let's get uh, into the news of this week before we chat about what's happening around the world, uh, or specifically one country, but we'll get to that. Uh, Robin, WhatsApp has received a fine. Big yeah, surprise. Yeah, pretty hefty one. Color me shocked. So uh, this week, Ireland's Data Protection Commission, we'll refer to them as the DPC, uh, issued a fine of 225 million euros to WhatsApp, which, as we know, is owned by Facebook. Uh, the DPC was specifically looking into how effectively WhatsApp communicates the handling of data with its users. We know that this has been a rather divisive topic, especially at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some privacy policy changes that uh, saw a mass exodus from the platform. But I guess in the months that followed that, things seem to have kind of uh, leveled out. But it looks like uh, the DPC are not happy at all with how WhatsApp are handling communication with uh, customers, also with users on the platform. Uh, they're specifically kind of looking at uh, how WhatsApp is following the investigation, how WhatsApp is non-compliant in terms of EU regulation, specifically GDPR. So uh, the summary of the judgment, it's a, I think a 68-page document, so we're not going to bore you with the all 68 pages, but the summary said that on 28 July 2021, the European dedicated Protection Board adopted a binding decision and this decision was notified to the DPC. This decision contained a clear instruction that required the DPC to reassess and increase its proposed fine on the basis of a number of factors contained in the EDPB's decision. And following this reassessment, the DPC has imposed a fine of 225 million euros on WhatsApp. Um, So now WhatsApp has to comply with GDPR. They have to make amendments as far as their privacy policy is concerned and specifically make changes as to how it will be notifying users with regards to data sharing, uh, specifically in terms of how it shares data with its parent company, Facebook. Uh, At the time of writing, WhatsApp uh, have acknowledged the decision, but they are not too happy with it. Um, What they said in a statement to The Verge is that WhatsApp is committed to providing a secure and private service. We have worked to ensure the information we provide is transparent and comprehensive and will continue to do so. 
We disagree with the decision today regarding the transparency we provided to people in 2018 and the penalties are entirely disproportionate. So they will be looking to appeal this decision in court uh, at the time of writing that appeal process hasn't taken place yet. So we, this is still, I guess, uh, up in the air in terms of whether or not uh, WhatsApp will pay the fine. Um, we have seen the EU come to blows with the likes of Google in the past. Um, that was more antitrust related. But the EU doesn't play games when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I suspect that WhatsApp will be, end up paying the fine, but we have to see how that appeal process uh, works out for them. Lawyers with a quarter of a million. Yeah. So I'm curious to know how big, uh, how big that fine is going to actually hit uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm just doing some very uh, headline reading at the moment. Um, and apparently Facebook's revenue in Europe amounts to around 7 billion US dollars. And this fine is amounts to about 270 million, which doesn't seem like that much of a, uh, of, of a fine considering how much money Facebook is making. I mean, I suppose yeah, yeah, look, it's, I... it's over a quarter of a billion dollars, sure. But I mean, in the greater, in the greater scheme of things, how, how much is this going to affect Facebook? Yeah, what is it saying? A fine is just uh, legal for rich people. <laughs> Robin, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I think it's it's more about the fact whether or not this opens up uh, Facebook and its uh, other entities up to further fines down the line. Um, I think we saw just before GDPR was put into place, they they got fined again, but it was uh, an infinitesimal amount mm. of money. Um, so hopefully. The bigger the fines are, Facebook will take it more seriously, or rather WhatsApp will. Uh, I doubt it, purely from uh, my cynical standpoint, having seen how these fines are dished out in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they'll just take the knock and continue doing it as they see fit. Absolutely. I tend to agree with you there, Robin. It's, it's, it's a fine means nothing in the greater scheme of things, quite honestly. We need action. We need action to be oh, taken against these companies. I was thinking about what this means potentially for Poppy. I know there was a lot of conjecture around what Facebook's role is. Uh, I know that was more misinformation um, on the platform related. Mm -hmm. But if they're seeing fines for GDPR, surely they would be seeing fines for Poppy. Uh, I, I know that there are two different pieces of legislation, but the, the broader strokes are fairly uh, similar. So it would be interesting to see whether government or rather the information regulator is willing to take someone like WhatsApp and its parent company Facebook to task. I mean, the information regulator would actually need to enforce Poppy for that to happen, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. Since Poppy came into full effect, I feel like companies are, are taking more chances than they were previously. So, yeah, I'm not holding my breath is what I'm saying, basically. And then the email saying we take care of your information very well didn't uh, dissuade you, didn't remove your worries? No, not at all. I mean, oh, I received yeah. one from a company just yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but they apparently only started taking my privacy very seriously yesterday. Um, yeah. What more can they do than that single email, Brendan? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to unsubscribe on another mailing list the other day. I was told that it would take two weeks for them to process my unsubscription. Oh, really? So, yeah. What do they need to do? Yeah. Like find the paper file with your name on it? Can you check down the owl holding I the... I don't know. Sensible signals or carrier pigeons or something. I don't know. 
something I do want to say, though, is that I haven't received a NetFlorist email since I'm unsubscribing at the beginning of July. So that's good news, I oh, think. Oh, NetFlorist. Oh, my yeah. God. They, why are they? Like, I, I bought from them once because we got a voucher for something, and then mm-hmm. I just got spammed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that brings back some, like, PTSD memories of being <laughs> spammed by them before I flip another NetFlorist. Anyway, moving on. Clinton, you got some news about Midnight Suns. Yes. Flowers are expensive. I just want to add that there. <laughs> um, yes, so we talked about Midnight Suns recently because it got revealed. Midnight Suns is an upcoming strategy game made by Fire Axis, who are the XCOM guys. I think they can just change their studio name to the XCOM guys. But maybe <laughs> this game will change our minds because this is their first non-XCOM game um, for a while. And people kind of looking at this and saying, so you're just going to do Avengers XCOM. And there's not entirely wrong because we finally got a reveal of the gameplay because the announcement of the game was just a cinematic trailer, which obviously doesn't tell you anything about how the game actually plays. So we got a reveal of the gameplay and then we also got a longer, called an official gameplay overview, but it's basically just parts of the trailer extended and with a voiceover yeah, explaining more. And something that's very transformative here is the fact that there's no more chest high cover so if you played the recent XCOM games you know that uh, like 80% of your strategy is hiding behind a wall to protect your guys otherwise they'll be killed so because this isn't a shooter game even though there are characters with guns and stuff like that there is no more cover as far as I could see you just kind of stand out in the open and it looks like the isn't a grid system it's more of a free moving system like uh, divinity original sin where every turn you get points to move but then those points don't apply to a grid that you can see underlining i'm sure in the code there is a grid and the other big change that we've seen here is that instead of each character having set attacks and abilities they can use every turn you instead get a, uh, a hand of cards and anyone who has played slate the spire or any game inspired by Slay the Spire, and there's dozens of them right now, this will look very familiar. Now, people were a bit iffy about this. Some people hate these card systems altogether. Some people don't like them because there is the possibility of them selling cards for money. We don't know if that's going to happen right now. But the changes to the cover and the cards are the biggest diversions away from XCOM. And there was also a big focus in the outside of combat stuff. So... It looks like there was going to be an Avengers mansion, but there's actually a place called the Abbey. And this is basically your mission hub and where you hang out when you're not fighting Hydragoons and monsters. And the focus here is on a new superhero called the Hunter. And Fire Axis actually worked with Marvel to create a new character called the Hunter. This is the player character that you can customize both in terms of how they look. They can be a more female body or a more male body you can choose that and then you can also choose how they look even though it seems you're always holding two swords they they did a quick gallery of oh look at all the different ways you can make the hero look but then uh, he or she's always holding two swords so i think there's a focus on swords and you can also choose how you interact with these characters now i don't know if you can go romance these characters but you can speak to them and you can grow closer to them you can develop relationships uh, it says you can have a nice walk in the park with Tony Stark. <laughs> Doesn't seem like Tony Stark would be the go for a nice walk kind of guy, yeah. but maybe he's in this game. Uh, he seems more like a, a cocktail. Wait, hang on though. Is there shawarma yeah. in the park? 
Oh, I, I don't know. I don't even think they had a, a little eat a meal scene in Th- this. Thanks, I'm Justin. sure there will be something. Sorry, Robin, what is that? I was just saying thanks to Joss Whedon over here. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk about him anymore. But <laughs> um, So it seems like they really want you to kind of get immersed in this. Something that was a bit disappointing is that they do the thing where there's some parts are voiced, but then most of the time when you speak to characters, it's just text. Uh, everybody likes extra voice acting. Um, and all this work that you put into relationships also then apply to the combat because you unlock more stuff to use while you're out in the field. So it's, it's again, it's, it's the XCOM loop where you do a lot of stuff in the field because you're excited to unlock something back at the base. And then when you're back at the base, you're excited to unlock something too you can use in the field. So again, that's, that's very, there's so much XCOM DNA in this that you can see just by looking at it but you're not fighting aliens. So I'm very excited about Midnight Suns. It's still quite a while away. It's for March 2022. And we'll probably see more of this as we get closer. They'll kind of ramp it up. But I'm excited for it. I'm, uh, Fire Axis has put out a lot of great games. I haven't played XCOM Chimera Squad. Just never got the time. But this looks fun. I'm excited that it also includes the X-Men. Because you've got uh, Wolverine and you also got Magic. Who's also sometimes on the X-Men. And you've got some MCU staples like Doctor Strange and Iron Man. And then you also have some offbeat characters like Blade. So, oh, and Ghost Rider, the, the newer incarnation of Ghost Rider. So this looks like a lot of fun. I still think that gameplay trailer with the song cover was, uh, was very cool. I still watch it every few days just so I can listen to it. Uh, next week, that song will be out. Um, that'll be fun to listen to. So check out our story, as always. There'll be links to everything we discuss, and you can see these two trailers that they've put out for the game so far. Cool. Moving on from games to uh, things that run games, technically. Windows 11, uh, it was announced that it would be out on 5th October this year, uh, starting out as a free upgrade, as well as being included uh, with new... Uh, hardware if you decide to purchase a new laptop or pre-built computer you'll get windows 11 as part of that provided it meets the minimum specifications and that's what i want to talk about um i've been running windows 11 now for since it was since you could get it through the windows insider program and while it seems like microsoft was allowing older hard people running older hardware rather to take part in the windows 11 insider program it seems as if that uh that's What's the word? Uh, it seems as if that nicety has worn off because it seems as if Microsoft has started kicking folks who have older hardware out of the Windows 11 Insider program and telling them to install Windows 10 instead. Um, essentially, this comes down to uh, Microsoft's requirements for Windows 11, uh, requirements that they say are in the interest of security, even though they don't seem to functionally stop Windows 11 from working. Uh, We say that because we've seen a number of systems that don't meet the minimum specification running Windows 11 just fine. However, Microsoft says that the uh, that older systems have a crash-free experience. Uh, Well, sorry, here's the exact quote. Devices that do not meet the minimum system requirements had 52% more kernel mode crashes. Devices that do meet the minimum system requirements had a 98 point, or 99.8% crash-free experience. So essentially what Microsoft is saying is that if you don't meet the minimum specifications, you're going to crash uh, 52% more than the, uh, than the 
0.2% of time that the minimum system requirement systems uh, crash. So, I mean, it's really negligible when you think of it that way, uh, unless you're managing a, p a fleet of PCs, but it's just causing a whole bunch of issues. Beyond this, last week, Microsoft said that you'd be able to install Windows 11 as part of an ISO, um, but if you do it that way, you could potentially not be eligible for upgrades if your uh, minimum update, sorry, if your minimum if the minimum system requirements aren't met. All in all, this whole thing has just become a massive mess, um, especially with regards to having to purchase a new system in order to run Windows 11. Personally, I don't think that anybody should be purchasing a new system in order to run Windows 11 um, because. From my experience, uh, once the once Windows 11 actually launches, I'm going to switch back to Windows 10 uh, just because why would I want to run Windows 11? There's not really that much of a benefit, especially for me. Um, in terms of performance, things look pretty much the same. As I said to a friend recently, the only time I remember I'm running Windows 11 is when it crashes. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just a complete mess that Microsoft has done here, all in the interest of security. And I don't know how well, uh, those security measures are going to be, uh, going to be implemented and whether they even matter at the end of the day. Um, why it's on the onus of the PC user to have a newer PC to stop crashes. That's like, that's like Windows saying this highway we, we built um, brand new 4x4s do really well on it, but old hatchbacks do poorly on it. Yeah, Microsoft, because instead of building a, a highway, you built a rocky terrain yeah. overpass. Why is it my fault that I didn't buy a 4x4? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because it's their software. Why don't they make their software crash less? Well, I mean, so what? even if you look at the amount of crashes that are happening, I saw somebody do some napkin maths, and essentially... If you take Microsoft's explanation and you apply it to like apples to apples comparison, you will find that minimum, the devices that don't meet the minimum system requirements only crash 99.7% of the time. So, oh, sorry, 0.3% of the time. For 99.7% of the time, you have a crash-free experience. So is that really worth the upgrade, worth buying an entirely new PC? I don't think so. And a lot of people seem to agree with that sentiment. It's just not worth it. And I think when when I say older PCs, people are thinking like, oh, devices from 2010 and that sort of stuff. No, we're talking about uh, laptops and notebooks that were released as recently as 2018. If you have something from 2018, the chances are very slim that uh, that device is supported by Windows 11 or meets Windows 11's minimum requirements. Um and I think that this is going to create a massive issue for Microsoft, especially as we approach Windows 10 end of life, which is only in 2025. But when you think about it, that's just around the corner, really. Next year, it's 2022, and then we're three years away from end of life. So I don't know. This whole thing has just been a mess. And honestly, it feels like Windows 11 is going to be the Windows 8 of uh, the 2020s. Yeah, and also, um, it isn't just that something is reaching the end of life. You have to consider the whole environment. And mm. we're talking about games. How long before 2025 are PC specs going to come out and it's going to say this game runs better on Windows 11? Exactly. And it won't be because, you know, Microsoft slipped them some money or something. It's just that the newest platform is usually the lead platform that these developers make the game for. 
So yeah. it, it, it's going to be, in my opinion, before 2025 that we start seeing developers saying, you, you need Windows 11 for this. It will run on 10, but you'll probably have a dog-awful uh, experience. So yeah. it's going to happen a lot sooner than... It sounds like it's five years away, but it's really not. It's going to happen much sooner, especially if Microsoft is trying to reach the same level of uh, installs as it did with Windows 11, Windows 10. Um, but yeah, my advice for now is stick with Windows 10. If it's working for you, there's no need to upgrade. In terms of features, there are very minimal features available, and some of them aren't even going to be available at release, especially being able to install Android apps. That's not something that's going to be available at release. And besides that, if you run some something like BlueStacks or some sort of emulator software, you're able to run Android apps on your PC anyway. So I, I really don't understand it. Anyway, let's move on to the new, some news further afield, uh, particularly in China. If you've been following the news this week, you will know that uh, China essentially placed a limit on the amount of time that kids under 18 years can spend gaming. Essentially, they are restricted to one hour of gaming on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and public holidays. Um, they Essentially, this means that uh, game publishers and developers and the folks that run online games have to ensure that kids under 18 years old in China only play for an hour on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and public holidays, or a total of, I suppose that amounts to a total of three hours in total. Robin, you you covered the story, so let's start off with you. Maybe you could sum up the details in a bit more succinct way than I can. Yeah, so the Chinese government are kind of framing this policy uh, in terms of uh, protecting underage internet users. Uh, we've seen... Uh, for example, copper, CO, double PA, that's been used as a way of protecting children when they're accessing services online. And although China doesn't specifically reference copper, that is kind of how this policy is being presented. That said, we have seen China uh, push forward a lot of policies that aim to control how the internet is accessed within its borders. Uh, as we well know, uh, China is a country where freedom and ability to access whatever you want on the internet isn't readily available to everyone. Uh, it's the reason why VPNs are pretty much ubiquitous across the country. So that's kind of how they've presented this argument. And it looks it looks pretty severe it, just in terms of you have to comply or it's game over. And it potentially is big news for publishers like Tencent who are reliant on a lot of uh, online services in, in their games and uh, a younger audience in general. So yeah, it's, it is a very China-esque move to make, but I think it does really open up conversations around how much time people are spending gaming. And I think that's probably where the, I guess, the naysayers around this policy kind of... Can, make their, their case is that China are perhaps conflating time with addiction um, and, and I, I think that's probably a good jumping off point for our, for kind of our discussion mm. So Go ahead, Werner Yeah, so I just want to start off by asking uh, you guys when you were younger did your parents kind of put a restriction on how often you could play games um, I know my parents did, but we'll get to that. Robin, did your parents do that at all? Did they say you were only allowed to play games at certain times, that sort of thing? 
Yeah, for me, it was only weekends or holidays. Uh, during the week, uh, I had to do my homework, which I very rarely did. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and yourself, uh, Clinton? No, um, but it's important to note two things. I was the last child, and um, some people would call me a lot Lamarki in South Africa, and yeah. uh, the rest of the world would just say I was a mistake. But uh, what I want to <laughs> wow. point out. My parents Posh. were much stricter. Yeah, it's just the truth. I can be honest <laughs> with myself. Um, my parents were much stricter with my brother and sister than they were with me. So I didn't have a limit. But on the other side of things, I was um, of my own accord very diligent about getting school stuff done. Mm. So usually um, at school, I would like use break time and stuff like that to do my homework. So by the time I got home, I didn't really have any responsibilities in terms of school to take care of. So... Mm. I was playing a lot of games, and we'll talk about it later. That I actually regret some of it, and we'll get to how that ties into you know the courts and everything. Also, just want to mention, so I didn't have restrictions, um, but there were like outside circumstances for that. And then also, a lot of people seem confused. Um, the way the government controls this, as far as I understand, is when you sign up for online games, and we have to point out that um, this limit is on online games. If you have an offline console and a game downloaded, you can get around this. It's not like they're sending people to yeah. houses for now. I mean, they could change. They're not sending physical people to houses and say, oh, you've been playing for an hour and 10 minutes. You're going to get a fine or whatever. It's all online. And when you sign up, as far as I understand, you basically have to input the South African equivalent of an ID number. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously like the South African ID number. It has your date of birth baked into it. Um, and on top of that, I've heard it's kind of easy to defeat because these systems, as far as I know, this is just what I've heard. Um, TSA, I don't live in China, obviously. Apparently, you can just Google how to get around it and you can get around it in a short amount of time. Or you can use a family member's number if they don't mind, even though that might be literally illegal. But I'm just reporting on what people apparently do to get around this. So... In terms of making news internationally, it sounds completely shocking, but what I've heard from people on the ground is just another day. So, yeah, let's let's keep that all in mind as we go forward and we have this yeah. little discussion here. So, my parents didn't, well, initially they did try to put a limit on me playing games and then I found a way around it, like the plucky kids in China. Um, but what I did learn was consequences. Um, basically, my parents eventually gave up fighting me, trying to get around playing games and stuff. And only when I failed my first maths exam did I realize, hang on, maybe I shouldn't spend time playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1. Maybe I should actually be doing some, some homework. Um, so, yeah, my parents were very much a, a, a case of you'll learn eventually and it will hurt, but that that's fine as well. So my parents like didn't really put that and then when i got to matric roundabout i didn't play any games throughout my matric year um mainly because i was trying to understand uh basic grade 12 uh, chemistry which i still don't understand but anyway i passed the exam um so yeah i mean i think it really differs and for a lot of folks even especially today, I think the idea of the government coming in and telling you how many, well, how long you can spend playing games seems really bad. But I think that there's a lot in China that maybe us as a Western culture don't fully understand and grasp about how things operate that side. Um, Robin, I, do, I did want to ask you, did they mention how they are going to enforce this? So from what I understand, 
there could potentially be some kind of monitoring system. I'm not too sure how they would be enforced there. Uh, and I think if they had to, for example, divulge that kind of information, it could potentially bring the Chinese government into... Well, it, it could open up more questions as to how the Chinese government had access to that kind of system. So I think they were quite... Uh, I would say uh, murky as far as those kind of finer details on how this would be enforced. Mm. So well, I, oh, sorry, Brendan, not yeah, cut you off, but I, I would think that because they have so much sway, they would just go to the game publishers and say, if you detect users in China and they're under an age, you need to put, you need to log them out after an hour. Yeah, uh, that's just conjecture. I just, I'm just thinking about how much sway. I mean, we've seen so many companies Katao them their games and change them for um uh for chinese audiences it wouldn't be surprised me if the government has a hotline to big publishers and they call them and they say do x y and z or we're gonna you know block well, the game from my country well i mean we have seen that in the past where for instance like blizzard um funny to talk about them and gaming and not about the other controversies they've they've created in recent months but uh, I know. I remember with Hearthstone specifically, the Chinese government forced Blizzard to implement um, kind of details about how card packs in Hearthstone were, what chances you had of pulling certain rarities of cards and that sort of stuff. So the Chinese government does have a lot of sway in how how companies work. I've also heard, um, even though I'm not within China, and it, it makes it really difficult when A, folks in China speak a completely different language to the rest of us, and B, we're not there, and we have to rely on secondhand information about what's happening in there. So while we tr do try our best to understand what is happening in China, we do need to state that we are not on the ground there, and the situation could be very different from how we see it. Um, but anyway, what I wanted to say was that uh, from what I've heard from reputable sources is that uh, the Chinese government actually forces you to uh, imp to tell them what age you are when you sign up for an online game. So that could be one way that they are tracking that. And obviously, Where that ID comes into play. Yeah, essentially. So they're able to see that, oh, okay, Clinton is 17 years old. He's not, dear listener. Uh, but Clinton is 17 years old and he's been playing Enter the Gungeon for 59 minutes. In 60 seconds, we have to kick him off. So there's that sort of thing. So, but I wanted to move on quickly and then just talk about whether we think this is a good or bad idea. And uh, Robin, I know you said you were in favor of it. Um, do you maybe want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so I think just to clarify, I'm not talking about what the Chinese government deems yes. correct and yeah. incorrect. I am interested in the, in the fact that it could be used potentially to... Uh, for lack of a better term, to control how much time uh, people are spending on gaming. And, and I think that's probably the most important issue is that I'm not con I'm not con I don't want to say that because you're spending a lot of time gaming that you are addicted to gaming because addiction is, as far as the, the WHO kind of uh, define it, is far different. Um, for, for me, anyway, I think that being able to have measures in place where parents are able to control how much time their kids are gaming and spending time gaming could potentially be good. I mean, we've seen companies like Microsoft, they, they bake a feature into Windows where you can see how much time your child is spending gaming. Mm. You, you can also set parameters in terms of how much time they're spending gaming. So it's not something that is 
is come out of the blue here. Um, I think it can be used effectively if uh, the, the, the right measures are put in place here. So for me anyway, I think when, when, we, when we talk about gaming, um, and, and I've seen it a lot of times when uh, a young player wins a, a massive esports tournament, the, the, the argument all of a sudden comes around where they say that a that gaming is the future as far as the profession and stuff like that. And I kind of get that. But if we are looking at gaming professionally as a sport, the reason that you play sports at school is not that you think you're going to be a springbok. I'm sure that's in the back of someone's mind. But the chances of you becoming a springbok or playing at a national level is very slim. Sports, in my view, is something that is used to create a community camaraderie and kind of get people out of potentially their comfort zones and get them interacting. For me, I feel like gaming nowadays has become very, and, and I'm, I might be uh, blanketing a whole segment of the community here, but it feels like it's a, it can become quite volatile and, and a little mm. bit toxic depending on what title you're playing. So I think the ability for a parent to, uh, to control how much uh, interaction their child is having, especially under age 18, very impressionable, and we won't even get into the whole microtransaction uh, debate and kind of how much some of the bills that kids can often run up without their parents being aware of it or finding out at the very last moment. Oh, we will so, get to that though, Robin. We're definitely going to get to uh, that cool. in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know I've said uh, quite a quite a few different points here, but I, I feel like it can be used as a good thing. Um, mm. I think when Governments are wanting to find out ages and attach ID numbers to people under the age of 18. That gets me a little bit worried, but I think it could potentially be used in a good way. And Clinton, yourself, what do you, what do you make of this? Yeah. I'm in two minds about this, because let me first start off and say, I don't think the government should have any say about what you do in your own home. Um, with your own children, aside from, you know, I'm not saying you should be able to not beat your children. That's actually a law that I'm very for. You should not be able to beat your children. But I think this completely oversteps the boundaries of uh, government, you know, um, oversight. But on the other side of things, looking back to, and I'm thinking of high school now, I just spent too much time playing Modern Warfare 2 online. It was a great game. And if they make a remake, I'll probably play it. But Looking back, I really think I spent too much time. Mm. And if I could go back, I would probably say, uh, please, just <laughs> go do something else. Just go do anything else, really. I played too much. I just spent too yeah. much of my time um, playing that and other games. And I wish I could go back and someone could have told me, you're probably going to regret it if you don't go out and play sports or make new friends or yada, yada, stuff like that. And I've spoken to people who still, like myself, play a lot of games now and as an adult, but they also say, yeah, I wish I did other things in high school. And that's where I kind of think that I don't think government should be the ones telling us. I think, like I would say this now to, I have two nephews and a niece. I would say to them now, if they're spending too much games, you know, I'm going to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but <laughs> you should probably still go out and do other things. And that's something that should be done on a family level on a parental level or whatever, and not on a government level. So I'm completely against the government putting this in place, but I mean, I'm for the concept in a very broad idea where 
you sh- kids should be doing other things. You know, yeah. you only get to be a kid once, and you're only going to be a kid for a very Absolutely. small portion of your life. And as kids have so many great games to play now, if you told little Clinton about the the absolute insanity of what you can do in stuff like Fortnite, my mind would explode. <laughs> so I understand that, but I do think sometimes should be put towards doing other stuff because life can't just be one thing. Um, because then you'll miss out on the rest of life. Oh, such sage words oh, from, from Clinton. Tell I'm an uncle. <laughs> so I am kind of with everybody on this. I I, I tend to agree that this is a could be a good thing. Um, I I agree with Clinton that maybe government is probably not the best person to be doing this, especially the Chinese government. Um, but I do think that this is a good thing, especially in an age where we have so many free-to-play games with so many microtransactions and even so many AAA titles with microtransactions and that sort of thing. I, I, Of course, I can't deny that gaming has brought a lot of people together, especially over the last year with the pandemic where you couldn't go out to see people or you yeah. couldn't go and have a party with your friends or go and see them at school or what have you. But on the same That's token... Cool. On the same token, you you, you kind of need that human interaction, right? I, I recently uh, rewatched um, Ready Player One because uh, it's on Netflix, not a sponsor. Um, but I rewatched it basically for the nostalgia fuel. And there's there's a moment in that movie that's very cliche where it's like the only thing the the great thing about the real world is that it's real or something to that effect. And you know, it, it is a, a really valuable point. It, you know, you you can say that like, oh yeah, it's nice to to be able to chat to your friends on Discord and what have you, but it doesn't really replace that human to human interaction. And especially when you're a younger kid, like you you're exploring so much about the world and learning so much, your your mind is a sponge. And if you're sitting in uh, multiplayer lobbies listening to the same people, the same group of people talking over and over again, saying the same things, I'm sure that can't be good for anybody, right? I mean. I'm old enough to know now when I'm in a toxic environment and I can move out of it. But if you're 17, 16, hell, if you're even 13, are you are you able to make that distinction? I don't think so. And I think that stuff like this, while it looks shocking from the outset, three hours of gaming a day. I mean, when you put it into context, is it really that shocking when you want kids to be able to focus on their education, making friends, playing outside? using their imagination, even just reading, you know, I think that this is a, is a generally good thing. Um, sure, we can argue about China enforcing it and all this, all the things that China does. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's a completely different culture. And at least I'm willing to, to, to give them the benefit of the doubt. Or, and by them, I mean the government, the benefit of the doubt that they are doing this in the best interest of their people. I mean, that is the Chinese line by like for everything is that it's for the good of their people and yeah sure we can argue some things maybe aren't but also it's a completely different way of life than what we know here in africa and which is completely different to the way of life in the u.s so i understand the criticism but also i do think that it's generally a good thing um I do want to switch quickly to the issue of microtransactions because we did touch on it very quickly but i think that when people think of games, you think of things like your Call of Duties and your Battlefields and 
Rise and Zero Dawn and all these games. But in China, it's a little bit different because you'll find that like free-to-play games from the likes of Tencent or uh, things like Dota and League of Legends are, are quite popular uh, over in China because they're free-to-play. But unfortunately, because of that, free-to-play means that it is likely loaded with tons of microtransactions. So uh, Kotaku actually did a really good uh, opinion piece about this, which we'll share uh, at the bottom of this podcast. Um, and they mentioned that uh, the things like gaming addiction and delinquent spending are two qualities associated with these types of games, free-to-play games, which are more uh, more prevalent concern in China compared to the West, which I think is important to note. Um, they cite things like the 15-year-old console ban, pushing a lot of gamers to doing free-to-play games uh, on computer or the internet and stuff like that. So there is a culture of embracing free-to-play games in China. And I think if anybody has played a free-to-play game, you can under, you can recognize how predatory those types of games are and how you can very quickly lose track of time when you're playing one of these games, right? I mean, uh, I, for my, speaking for myself, I will say that I spent way more time in games like Hearthstone than I care to admit, just chasing that that next dopamine that hit. Dragon. Yeah, that, oh, I'm, oh. I'm going to get a legendary card now. I'm going to get enough gold to buy a card or I'm going to spend money to get these cards and then I'm going to win you don't yeah. actually win because you're actually a terrible player at the game, um, but you gave Blizzard all your money. So I think yeah, that I things think like that, that is very important. Clinton, sorry, you want to chime in? Yeah, for a few years ago, I was hopelessly addicted to Warframe, and Warframe mm -hmm. is a fantastic game, and it isn't even as predatory as a lot of those other uh, games you mentioned, but it's very much designed to keep you in there and playing for as long as possible, and it wants you... To log in every day to get bonus rewards and it wants you to do the daily grind to get those rewards and it wants you to buy the packs and have a bit of randomization and it wants you to eventually break out the credit card and buy some stuff and again i love digital extreme still um and i still love warframe even though i haven't played it in years and years now but retroactively i can 100 percent go back and say oh no that that wasn't a healthy way to live my life um it really wasn't and I can say that same thing for how I was in high school. That was not a healthy way to conduct myself to be as um, clinical as possible, but it's the truth. And again, I think people of a certain age will listen to us and they'll be like, oh, these old guys, they just don't get it. <laughs> but we're really coming, we're really doing it with, I'm doing it at least with, um, with to sound cheesy, with pure intentions here. And this is my honest experience. And if any parent comes to me and says, should I let my my child play games i'll 100 percent say yes and i'll espouse their virtues all day but you just can't do the one thing and it's not just games if you came and told me my kid sits down and he watches the criterion collection for 12 hours every day i also say that's that's not a healthy thing to do um yeah your your son obsessed with movies should maybe try some video games or something yeah um so it's not just games it's with anything in life you there's given this take and you can't just do one thing all the time because it will drive you insane. Everything in moderation, especially moderation. Robin, getting, yeah. getting very old man cheesy in this episode. I mean, it, it's a fair point, though. I, yeah. From my own personal experience, uh, at a previous previous job, and I'll say this now because I'm pretty sure that the uh, the statute of limitations has expired, but 
I I was extremely addicted to Dota at one page at uh, one stage, and I will say I was addicted. And I realized how addicted I was when it was one o'clock on a Sunday morning. I needed to go to work the next day, and I was like, "Nah, I don't have to sleep." And I carried on playing until four o'clock. The next morning, I got to work, and I was useless, absolutely useless. And it was at that point where I was like, "Maybe I need to dial back the amount of time I play Dota." Luckily, I was I had that that strength of mind uh, to be able to, or that presence of mind rather, to be able to recognize that within myself. But as I mentioned already, if it's if it's a child or somebody that's under eighteen years old, do they have that 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 mental capacity? I'm not saying that kids are dumb by any stretch of the yeah, imagination, 100%. but there is there is some truth to uh, with age comes experience you know there is there is some truth to that because you learn stuff about yourself as you grow and you're not going to learn too much of yourself if you're emulating a digital avatar in a game right you want to hear my story about when I was like okay I've gone over the line here um, so we all went to Durban as like a family vacation and my brother stayed behind because he had to work and I took with me my very terrible laptop that i had it was like a cheaper thing mm. and i thought i needed to log into warframe and go to a specific place because warframe just implemented a, a, a what's it called like a roaming trader that would show up once a week and they would have the best stuff yeah and i really needed it because it was the first week he was there and i knew he was going to have good stuff but that was the week i was away and i didn't have one of those i mean this was like 20 11 so it's not like i had one of those 20 kilo gaming laptops i just didn't have that so i thought maybe my laptop can run it and i can just because i don't need to play the game i just need to log in and fly my ship to this guy and get the deal shouldn't be hard and i didn't have time to actually play the game i just downloaded it and got in the car and we drove down to durban and when i realized i couldn't do it the realization hit me i had to walk my brother who does not play games and knows nothing about video games to switch on my desktop PC, log into Warframe and fly a spaceship to an outpost to buy wow. this uh, thing. And you know, I, I don't want to say my brother is slow or anything. He's, he just knows about other things. He knows a lot about like cars that I don't know about. So yeah. it's just like, it's like saying you needed to, you know, I don't know, splice two plants together. Something like my mom <laughs> can do because she's, She's got a, a green thumb and she's been, um, you know, doing plants as a hobby for decades. If she had to phone me and explain how to transplant the stem of a plant over the phone, that would be hell. That would be torture. But that's what I had to do with my brother. And it took like two hours to do a 10-minute thing. Wow. But we did it. And I got my reward. And I was very happy about it. And when I got home, I looked at the stuff. I can't even remember what it was that I actually got from the trader. <laughs> but when I looked at that, I was like, that, that wasn't worth it. It really wasn't worth all that effort and the struggling and bringing my family into it. And they had to struggle. And my brother didn't mind. He was just like, oh, whatever. But after that, I was like, I, I can't play this game anymore. And I can't remember when after that I stopped playing. But I did stop playing and I, I haven't gone back even when they added a lot of cool stuff that I really wanted to look at. And yourself, so, yeah, Robin, have you had an experience with a so-called gaming addiction in your life? Um, I wouldn't say alternate addiction, but certainly I should just preface, I'm a, I'm a console gamer, and buying games is an expensive hobby. Mm. And 
there were certain times where I was doing part-time and odd jobs just to just to buy games instead of potentially saving up some of their money uh, as I should have been doing. So, yeah, I think there have been times where my priorities went straight and I was spending a lot of money on games when I probably shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, I mean, gaming is great. I think we we need to make that clear. We're all fans of games. We love playing games. But it's also something that's secondary to other stuff that we enjoy, right? We all enjoy writing, hence we all work for hypertext. We all enjoy games. That's fine. But I mean, like, for instance, I love cooking. I, I love spending my Saturdays in the kitchen. And nine times out of ten, you won't find me online on a Saturday, except for the mornings, you know, because it's a, it's a Saturday morning. But nine times out of ten, you won't find me online on the weekends because I'm in I'm playing some games. Um, so I mean, not playing some games, cooking some food, right? So I mean, I think the thing here is that we focus so much on what these these kids will be restricted to in terms of games, but there's so many other things that they could do, and I think that that's what's important. My hope, however is that this kind of sets an example for the rest of the world. Maybe not as extreme as limiting kids to three hours a day if they're below 18 years old. I think that, that that might be a step too far. But I think that there needs to be a wider conversation about how publishers and developers kind of target, maybe unintentionally, but a lot of the time intentionally, target yeah. kids with microtransactions and trying to upsell them things in games. I mean, I think while Fortnite has done a lot of good, especially over the last year, I think that we could also take a look at what they've done and go, well, maybe you shouldn't be selling every single pop culture icon as a skin in Fortnite every other week. Like, maybe we should tone that down just a little bit because FOMO is something that game developers love to use in order to drive engagements in their games. So, yeah, hopefully this this sparks a wider conversation about the predatory practices from developers, um, especially publishers like EA, uh, Activision Blizzard, Epic, the, these big-name publishers that kind of try and get that, try to get that dopamine fix to you uh, by giving you shiny digital items that have no real consequence in the real world. Um, I don't know. May, maybe I'm, I'm thinking too big here, it's but also, it's also worth mentioning. Just as Robin mentioned, like you can become an esports no star now. You can become a streamer that makes millions every month. There's so many things happening in these spaces that are so advanced compared to when we were growing up. When I was growing up, there wasn't a huge department at a multi-billion-dollar developer saying how can we extract more money from kids. Yeah, right. That didn't exist. Uh, well, maybe it did, depending on the, uh, the the era. But it's it's just so different to when we were younger. Even mm -hmm. though it's maybe a decade between how it all works, if you look on the grand scale of things, you know, if you compare people in this call, and then I compare myself to my uh, my nephew who plays a lot of Fortnite. So it's just it's such a different field. Again, like I said with Fortnite, we mentioned that a lot because that's kind of. Again, it's unfair to say it, but it's seen as a kid's game, even though it isn't. Mm. If you told me in Fortnite you could be dressed as Batman, fighting Iron Man, while the biggest uh, music star in the world performs a concert live, 
and then uh, you can speak to a real celebrity through all these things would have uh, I wouldn't have believed you it just no. would have been an impossibility at the time yeah so there's all these things that we can say oh you should do x y and z but it's like trying to convince a kid to read a book <laughs> when they could watch Drake in Fortnite in 4K it's <laughs> it's a completely different world I still think you should read the book um, yeah. books but are it's, great it's, it's completely different. It's a it's a whole nother paradigm. So I don't decry kids too much saying I want to spend all my free time in Fortnite with my friends who I know in real life from school. Because again, that's what my nephew does. And I, I can't argue with that. I really can't say you should go outside and do something when it's your friends that you already know from school and you're playing a piece of entertainment product, which we couldn't even fathom when we were young. So yeah, it's. I'm really. I hope I don't come across as a fuddy duddy here. I really try to see this from all sides, and I really think it's awesome. Every time Brendan and I were talking about this, where you can buy like a Nerf gun that shoots around the corner, the if you compare that to what we had available, Man. it's just night and day. And it's kids have it so good. Um, well, I assume kids with the parents with lots of expendable income. Yeah. Um, they just have it so good, and it's it's hard to fathom. It's the same thing saying we can't relate to how someone living in China lives their lives because we're not there. We can't talk about what it's like for kids because we're not kids anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important to recognize when people are, are criticizing moves like this by the Chinese government. We we really don't know what's happening at that side of the world, unless you're there, obviously. I mean, there are news agencies and people reporting things, but to actually know what it's like to live in a country, you have to live there. Um, I mean... For as as much as the history books have written about things like uh, apartheid, like unless you were living it, it's very hard to understand what happened during those times, right? So, yeah, it's it's a really difficult thing to grasp, especially when we have so much freedom in the rest of the world, Uh, and then when you look at places like China, there's these restrictions. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. I, I think that's. I think that this is a, overall a good thing. Um, whether the government should be responsible for that is is a, is a debate in its own. Um, and China is very famously very protective over its citizens and its uh, its country and its government. So yeah, I think let let's wrap up with some final thoughts. Robin, what are your final thoughts on this? Yeah, for me, it's all about balance. Um, I think we're all in agreement as far as government. Uh, scope should only stretch so far mm. but um, as far as getting addicted to something goes uh, and look I'm definitely far from perfect I, I have my vices I have my addictions but for someone that's under the age of 18 giving them the chance to have as balanced a life as possible should be the bare minimum and mm. if parents have the ability to control how much gaming they're doing uh, if if they are going uh, doing it excessively, then perhaps having these kind of measures in place isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, perhaps just don't let government control it. Maybe give the control to ISPs or, or someone else or the, the game developers themselves. I don't know. Um, but I think it is a worthwhile thing to look at long term. And yourself, Clinton? Uh, I don't think any Chinese children will actually consulted to <laughs> put this into place and i might 
people might sound that on that is ridiculous consulting children to draft a law but when it con uh, it directly impacts children's lives they should have a voice i mean it's a big thing in south africa a lot of government programs say we need to give younger people a voice and mm. if any chinese children were con talked about this at all i would be absolutely shocked because it as much as I don't want to sound like an old man in this podcast, it was probably a, a room full of old men who came up with this. So they really should have talked to some kids. And if it was like two hours every day, which is six hours a week, that would still be very strict, but I think that would be better. But that's obviously not the case. And again, there's ways to get around this. Kids are much smarter than the government gives them credit for, and they yeah. will get around this. And as far as I understand, it's actually easy to get around with this. And a lot of kids probably... And still play single player games just fine so it might be one of those things where at the end of the day it has no real impact on real people's lives and it turns into one of those weird laws like in england you can't look up the skirt of a mannequin on a friday afternoon it's against the indecency laws so maybe it's going to be like one of those in 10 years that's how we'll look back at it yeah uh obviously Sorry, obviously I've made my thoughts known. Uh, one thing I am interested to to know is what China's esports scene looks like in a few years. Uh, China is very dominant when it comes to esports. Um, although in recent years, the rest of the world has kind of come up to pace uh, with with uh, countries like China and South Korea. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens as as regards that because esports is quite big in uh, Asian countries. Um, especially since it's kind of bred into, you know, young kids that they can play games and that sort of thing and make a lot of money doing it. Um, while esports and esports athletes is a relatively new concept in the West, it's it's been going for some time in the East. So, I'm curious to see how this affects that, if at all. Uh, especially considering the relatively young age that esports athletes uh, retire at. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to see what the future brings in regards to that. But as far as restricting uh, kids from spending their lives or wasting their lives playing games, um, yeah, I can't really see a bad thing here as relates to that in a vacuum. Obviously, as we've mentioned, things like government having control over that and peering into the, the personal lives of people more and more is concerning, not just in China, but the rest of the world as well, because... You know, governments like to crib notes from other governments. So, yeah, all in all, I think this is a, is a good thing. Um, we can argue about the restrictions and that sort of stuff. But uh, allowing kids to be kids, that's not a bad thing in my opinion. Uh, but that's going to do it from us for this week. Uh, we'll be back again next week um, after we've played some games for longer than three hours, I'm sure, over the next week. Uh, but from myself, Brendan Lott, cheerio from Clizomatos. Hi, everyone. And from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.